Thanks for joining us today for the Lighthouse Church Podcast. We love hearing stories about how this podcast and how our church encourages and allows us to use God's Word to reach others not just in our area, but all over the world. If you got a story about something you've heard on this podcast that has made a difference in your life, let us know by emailing us at amen at lighthouseag.com. We'd love to hear about it. Also, if you'd like to help this ministry financially, you can do so online at www.lighthouseag.com by clicking on the online giving and help us bring this message and others like it to you each week. Thanks for joining us. We encourage you to open your heart and minds today to experience a word from God. Luke chapter 15. We're going to get there in just a moment. Our series today is entitled, Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. Look to the person next to you and say, if you can change your thinking, you can change your life. I want to be clear about this. There's something very powerful about what you believe. We're not talking about positive thinking or human psychology. We're talking about aligning our thoughts and our beliefs with truth, God's truth. Why is it that so many people in our world today are controlled by fear, anxiety, depression, hopelessness, and despair? Why is it that the negative emotions and addictions and life-controlling problems are rampant, not only in the world, but in the church? May I suggest to you that there's a lot of people who suffer needlessly Because they have believed outright lies and distortions of the truth. May I suggest to you today that if you start to think and believe differently. And it's just not you saying, I'm not going to think bad anymore. All right. It's allowing God to transform your mind. It's allowing him to touch your mind and change what you believe and what you think. John chapter 8, verse 30, the scripture says this, that even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Did you hear that? If you hold to my teachings, let me paraphrase that. If you believe and grab a hold of what I say to you, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Today, I hope that you'll grab a hold of what God is saying to the church. In Romans chapter 12, and and you can flip there real quick. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. It says this is your reasonable or this is your proper, true and proper worship. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to attest and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The question that we have for you today is how does life transformation take place life transformation takes place 
by renewing your mind, by changing the way that you think. You could take a fearful person, hear this closely, you can take a fearful person out of a scary situation and nothing changes because they're still fearful. You remove them from that situation, but the fear is still in their heart. And so as soon as the next situation comes up, they're going to be afraid again. You can take a bitter and angry person. You got someone who's bitter and angry and we say, well, we just need to keep them away from whoever it is that they're bitter or angry with. Can I be honest with you? That's not going to work very long. Why? Because they're bitter and angry. You take their brother-in-law away. No, the brother-in-law is not there anymore. So surely then he won't be bitter and angry. No, he's still bitter and angry because the issue is inside of him. The problem is inside of that individual. In my notes here, I wrote this. Somebody needs to quit running from things today. I believe that there's times when I'm writing my messages and I'm praying, I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks things and plants things into my heart. That's a one-liner for somebody. Somebody needs to quit running from things. You need to stop running and, and trying to get away from the difficult situations in your life and face them. When Landon was a little guy, I want to say maybe three or four years old, he was afraid of Cat in the Hat. Now you laugh. Cat in the Hat was a very traumatic event for him. I don't know why it was that he was afraid of Cat in the Hat, but he hated the movies He hated pictures of him. He did not want to see cat in a hat books, cat in a hat toys, or anything like that. And so one day, there were different times where just cat in a hat would just come up. You know, when you're, you see books around or something, and he was afraid, and he wanted to get away from it. He didn't want to see it. If it was on TV, he wanted to turn it. No, turn that, Dad, turn that. And so one day, we were over at Shady Maple Gift Shop, and I purposely led him down because he had said this several times and we had been in there before. That was one of those, we'd go in there somewhat regularly and look around and you know, when that first opened, I purposely, we'd gone by Cat and Hat Owl before and he was afraid and didn't want to go. But that day I purposely took him down Cat and Hat Isle. And I said, when we're done today, you're never going to be afraid of Cat and Hat again. Now the kid's like three and a half. And so he, he kind of looks up at me and Wondering what we're going to do. And he said, well, why, Dad? I don't like Cat and Hat. I said, because today you're going to kick Cat and Hat's butt. <laughs> and we went in and we found, do you remember this? Yeah. They had this big Cat and Hat. It wasn't like a little Cat and Hat. It was like this big Cat and Hat toy stuffed animal. And I said, and we, I pulled him out. And Cat and Hat was as bigger than Landon was. And I said, dude, I said, I'm going to hold him. And you hit him in the face. He kind of pushed him for us. I said, no, man. I said, hit him in the face. Hit him in the face. And so he punches him in the face. And then I said, knees, dude, knees. Knee him in the stomach. And and throw your elbow. Hit him in the elbow. And and each time, it sounds stupid, but each time he hit cat in the hat, you could see this like grin come on his face. I was like, drop the elbows on him. Pow, drop the elbows out. Kicking between the legs. He was kicking cat in the hat between the legs. He had him on the ground. And he hammer fisted him. It was awesome. I hope too many people didn't see us. Because we look kind of crazy. 
But when we walked out of there that day, Cat in the Hat was no longer something that scared him. Why? Because he changed the way that he thought. He said, wait a minute. Me and my dad went and we kicked Cat in the Hat's butt. I don't have to be afraid of Cat in the Hat. Today, you know what I hope? I hope that in this message that there's some of you who are afraid of some things. Some of you doubt some things. Some of you aren't sure about some things. I hope that today God settles some things in your life. Here's a prophetic word for you as well. God's going to take some of you down aisles that you would rather avoid so that he can expose wrong beliefs and change your life. He's not going to allow you to keep avoiding things. He's going to take you down that aisle because it's time for you to grow up. We're going to focus on one major thought today. That's our focus. One major thought today. The first thing that needs to be established in your life is you need to believe in God's unconditional love for you. That's where we're starting at. That's the very first thing. That's all we're going to talk about today. That's the one thought that we're going to Try to implant in your heart, in your mind, God's unconditional love for you. Unconditional means it has no limitations. It has no end. And I think probably one of the best places that we could find that would be in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 16. Why don't you turn your Bibles there? Jesus is talking and it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So the father divided the property between the two of them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set out for a distant land. And there the scripture tells us that he squandered his wealth in wild living. He was partying. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land. And the whole country, and they began to be everybody, it wasn't just him, everybody began to be in need. Everybody was in a difficult place. And so he went off and he hired himself. Another way that we could say that is he sold himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. The Bible tells us that he got so hungry that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods, with the pods that the pigs were eating. But the Bible says that no one would give him anything. There's a couple things we need to have an understanding about concerning this portion of scripture. We need to understand the implications of what the son did. The son goes to his father. This is something that he does before. This is not a private thing. In essence, the community knows about this. He goes to his father and in essence says to his father, you're as good as dead to me. All I want from you is what belongs to me, what rightfully belongs to me. And so he, in essence, really disrespects and humiliates his father by this request. He says, you know, I'd rather you be dead. Just give me what belongs to me. Give me what's coming to me. And so the father, I don't want to wait around till you die. I want what belongs to me. Give it to me now. The father gives him his inheritance. And then the, excuse me, then the son, you know, he waits a few days. He collects everything that's his. And he goes out and wastes all of it, the Bible says. doesn't tell us how long it took him. He could be a quick spender. I don't know where I got this. Somehow in Sunday school or children's church, I got this idea of this guy, he was like the big spender. 
he took all of his father's inheritance, what his father had worked for all of his life, and he takes that, and he goes out, and he has all kinds of friends who will party with him, and who, as long as he has money, they're all around. But when the money is gone, they're gone, okay? As long as the drinks are flowing, as long as the party's gone, and he's funding, hey, we're gone for, away for the weekend, they're right along with him. But when the money's gone, his friends are gone. Another thing that we need to see is we need to see how low this young man went. By Jesus saying to the people that this man ended up hiring himself out, selling himself out to a farmer to take care of his pigs, you have to understand how low that went for a Jewish boy, okay? Pigs were considered unclean. They didn't want anything to do with them. And what he's saying is, is this guy in their culture to hire yourself out to take care of the pigs, it means that this guy went, it's just telling us, he went as low as he could go. You didn't think he could go any lower than that. And then he longs to eat the pods that the pigs are feeding on. I mean, he hits this guy, Jesus' illustration of this guy, is he hits rock bottom. He loses it all. He's being utterly humiliated. The sin in this world utterly humiliated him. We'll pick back up here in verse 17. Verse 17 says that when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? But here I am starving to death. I'll sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I love that verse whenever it says, and he came to his senses. Here he is. He's there feeding the pigs. He left with great wealth. He returns with nothing. He has nothing. He spent it all. All of his friends are gone. All the people who were supposed to be there for him, they're gone. And he's sitting there looking at himself and he says, my God, what am I doing here? See, to come to Jesus at some point along the way, all of us have had to come to our senses and say, what am I doing? What am I doing here? You know, that's the issue with sin. Sin always takes us to a place that we'd ever thought we'd want to go. This humiliated him. It embarrassed him. He's starving to death. And then he comes to his senses and he starts thinking about his father. Before, I'm sure that he thought his father was restrictive. Before, I'm sure he thought his father was trying to keep something good from him. Before, he thought the father, he's just trying to control me. No one's going to control me. I'm not going to let nothing control me. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to be my own man. He found out what that got him. But the scripture says that he came to his senses and he starts thinking about his father. And he's like, my father's a good man. My father, even his servants, he even treats his servants good. I'd be better off to go back and ask and plead and maybe he'll let me be one of his servants. Maybe I can just work Maybe I can live down in the barn. Maybe I can stay in the bunkhouse on the corner of the property. Maybe there's still a place for me back there. He comes to his senses and he starts to move back towards home. Verse 20 says, 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. I want you to get the idea. As this young man begins to walk down the road, he comes to his senses and he starts heading back towards home. It was a distant land, the scripture says. And sin always takes us far. You might be just around the corner. You might be just around the corner, but when you're in sin, it's a long ways away, isn't it? It takes us further than what we ever thought. And he starts walking towards home. I want you to see this young man. He's filthy. What's his job? Feeding the pigs. He's filthy. His hair is matted. He's worn out. He's emaciated. He's lost all kinds of weight. It would be hard for the average person to recognize that arrogant young man in his fancy clothes and with all of his money and all of his posse. It would be hard for anyone in the community to recognize who he was now as he walked back home. I guarantee you that there were people along the way who saw him as he's walking towards home and they don't even recognize him anymore. People who grew up and knew him, he doesn't look anything like he looked whenever he left home. And he smells like poop. The distinct odor of pig poo. He stinks. But the Bible says that while he was still a long way off, while he was still far off, the father saw him. Go back to verse 20. While he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And the father ran to his son and threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Matted hair, filthy clothes, smelling like pig poo and all. The father ran to him and grabbed a hold of him and he kissed him. Now, the son had begun to rehearse what he was going to tell his dad. In some ways, he's still trying to work it out himself. He's still trying to scheme it because that's what his life was. His life had been about him trying to work things out. He was used to lying. He was used to deceiving. He was used to taking advantage. And as he comes back to the father, he's trying to think of what can I say to my dad? What can I say to him? I know I don't want to live this way anymore. I know what I'll say to him. He confesses his faults to him. He begins to rehearse his planned statements. He plans on asking for an opportunity to work as a servant. He understood that he's not worthy to be treated as a son. Dad, maybe maybe I can work in the barn. Dad, I know I'm not worthy, but if you'll let me come home, can I stay in the bunkhouse? on the back of the property where nobody else will see me? Could I sleep in the hayloft? And the father would have nothing to do with that. 
As the son starts to rehearse his explanation to the father, he starts to say these things to the father, but the father interrupts him. And he calls for the best robe, he calls for a ring, and he calls for sandals. Each of these are a sign of his position and of his acceptance. He called for the best robe in the house. Obviously a robe that was his. That was a robe of distinction that set him apart. He took off the dirty, filthy clothes and he clothed him with the robe of distinction. He calls for a ring. It wasn't just any ring. It was a signet ring, a sign of authority. And he called for sandals for his feet. Slaves went barefoot. Sons wore shoes. He calls for the fatted calf. The fatted calf was a sign of a special occasion. When you killed the fatted calf, it was a sign of celebration. And he begins to celebrate. This book Joseph Prince wrote, The Power of Right Believing. I would encourage you to check it out. And he says this, Many today believe in a religious God. They believe that God is against them when they fall short. They believe that he is angry with them when they fail. That fellowship with him is cut off when they make a mistake. They believe that God is perpetually unsatisfied with them, waiting impatiently to be appeased. They imagine a God who is constantly judging them for their weaknesses, shaking his head in abject disappointment after mediocrity or never-ending failures. They believe that they are not good enough for God and will never be good enough for God. It's no wonder, he continues to write, that instead of running to the one true solution, they run in the opposite direction when they're hurting. So there's a great deception, a powerful wrong belief about God that has trapped Many in this vicious cycle of condemnation, guilt, fear, defeat, and then more condemnation. As long as the enemy can keep you believing wrong about how God feels about you, I promise you your actions will never change. Okay? You can't get it on your own. You can't be good enough on your own. Our change is usually temporary. Just being honest. I hate to burst your bubbles. But internal changes that we do on our own usually are short-lasting. They don't seem to last for the long haul. And God wants to change your thinking, and he wants to change which ultimately will change what you believe, and that will change how you act and how you live. But if he can keep you thinking that God is always mad at you, and God is always disappointed in you, and that you never are going to measure up, then eventually you'll grow discouraged and you'll quit. There's a portion of Scripture I want to read to you from several portions of Scripture. Psalms 103. Let me tell you what the Scripture says, verses 8 through 14. Psalms 103, verses 8 through 14 tells us this. It says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious. Everybody say gracious. When the Father looked at the Son, what did he look upon him with? With compassion. When he saw his son at a distance, he had compassion on him. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in love. The Bible says he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. 
okay? He won't always do that. He does not treat us like our sins deserve. It's not about what you deserve. He doesn't treat us according to what our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. Now, the heavens above the earth, they're way up there. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. All right? So he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great his love is for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west, they never are going to connect. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's a long ways. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. And it says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're what? That we're just dust. What is that? That's the love that God has for us. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Thought that he holds those things against us. He says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed his transgressions from us. I recently read this. This one author wrote, he said the focus of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant was our love for God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and all of you know this, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Okay? I don't want to sound like a heretic, but let me ask you, if we're really honest, how many of you have kept that all this year? That you loved God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, can I be honest with you? We want to claim that we do, but I bet you along the way, there's quite a few places where you loved yourself more than you loved God. You loved what you wanted to do. You loved that emotion of being angry more than you loved God. The reality of it is, is it's very hard for us on our own to be able to do that, to love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength continually. Now, people say, oh, I love God. Well, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How many of you broke one of those commandments? One. One of his commandments this year. If you did, then you did not measure up to that. If you broke one of his commandments, you're guilty of all of it. Okay? The old covenant was about our love for God. Loving with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The person writes, whereas the emphasis of the new covenant of grace is God's love for you. Romans chapter 5, why don't you turn there? Chapter 5, verses 6 down through verse 10. What's the new covenant say? It says, for at just the right time, when we were still powerless, for at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. Did he die after you got all of your junk together? No. No. Did he die for you after you got rid of the, you know, the three-pack-a-day habit? No. Did he die for you? Did he love you, you know, after you put down whatever thing you were holding on to? No. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, but for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But here, listen to verse 8. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. He demonstrated, he proved his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? Okay, the concern of God coming to get me. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Okay, another verse I want to read to you. 1 John verse 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Listen, this is love. New Testament, this is what it says. This is love. What does it say? Not that we loved God. This is what love is. Not that you loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. The old covenant said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The new covenant, according to 1 John 4, 10, it says this is what love is. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. One more portion of scripture I want to read to you. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called, what? Children of God. And that is what we are. Somebody say, that's what we are. That's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Next verse. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and that's what we will be. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But when he appears, but as it may done, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Next verse. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, let's go back to the prodigal son. And this is where we're going to just finish it up. Here's this person who came to his senses. He wasted. He had embarrassed his father. He had sinned against him. He had humiliated himself. He's broken. He stinks. He's made a mess. And he knows this. At least at my dad's house. Listen. At least at dad's house. He treats the servants better than the world's treating me. I'll go back to my dad. I'll go back to my father. I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not worthy. I know I gave up that right to be a son. I know I already took my inheritance. But maybe, maybe he'll let me live in the barn. Maybe I can stay in the barn. I learned my lesson. I'll work hard. I mean, I'll work hard. I'll work hard. I'll do whatever I have to. 
And maybe he'll just let me stay at tomorrow. But when he comes back, the father sees. And the son starts to rehearse that stuff with his father. And the father just cuts him right off. He said, get the best robe in the house. He's someone of significance. Get the ring for his finger. He has all the rights of a son. Get sandals for his feet. He's not a slave in this place. He's my boy. And he says, get the fatted calf and kill the fatted calf because a son of mine that was dead is now alive. He was lost and he's now found. Now, this is why I want to talk to you. Maybe there's some folks here. But maybe you're that prodigal son. Maybe you've... Maybe right now you're just starting to come to your senses. And we're going to open up our altars in a minute and we're going to invite you to come home. And the Father's not going to accept you as a slave. He's not going to let you come home as a slave. He's not letting you stay out in the barn. His love for you has never ended. You can't even imagine how much he loves you. And we're going to have a time at the altar. But there's some other folks who are here today who you've come back to God. You've come back to the Father. And you feel that because of all of the dumb things you've done, that somehow he's relegated you to the barn. He's relegated you that you'll never quite be good enough to really be a son and have all that belongs to the sons. But somehow you're always going to be back on the barn and you'll work hard for him and you'll try to do the right thing. But he's not accepting that. His love for you He loves you unconditionally. And until we get that thing in your head, you can't shovel enough poo for him. You can't get up early enough to please him. You don't have to do that. His love for you is based on who you are. You're his. You're the children of God. You've been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus was shed for your sins. So this idea of you being second class and not good enough and somehow, you know, having to earn God's love for you and his acceptance of you is foolishness. And as long as you believe that, you'll stay stuck in your addictions and your bad habits. You'll stay stuck in going up and down. But when you understand who you are, you're a child of the most high God. It changes the way you live. Before he walked out with a false sense of arrogance and pompousness. When his dad was done with him. He came back ashamed and embarrassed and humiliated. When his dad was done loving on him. He was able to have a clear understanding of who he was. In spite of his sins and his falling short. He's a son. And he belongs to his father. As we open up our altars. If you're here today, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you are, would all of you just pray with us? Just to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. Everybody please stand, if you would. If you're that prodigal son today, if you're that prodigal daughter today, 
and you just say, Father, I want to come to my senses. I want to just come to my senses. I just want to turn towards God today. Can I just see your hand? I want to pray with you all across this room. You want to come to God today. Thank you. Someone else? How about this? How about there's some folks in here today but you say, Pastor, I got to be honest. I've always felt like I'm the guy on the outside. I've always felt like I'm second class before God. And I so much want to know. I want to be accepted. I want to know the Father's love for me and that I don't have to earn it. I don't have to merit it.